Okay, friends, I know that you think that I record this podcast for you. Okay, I do, but really, I get so much out of it. I, so many times, I mean, like every time when I'm done recording, I turn off the mic, I just sit back and I think, thank you, God, so much for that conversation. And through these amazing people that I get an interview, God just opens my eyes to what he is doing in the world. And today's podcast, you will definitely sense that. I'm talking to Audrey Frank, and we're going to be talking about her book, um, Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. And I, I mean, I just learned so much today about honor and shame and how Um, The Muslim society and other societies really see that as that's where their point of view, that's where everything stems from, those feelings of honor and shame. And just talking with Audrey, I could just hear her heart, her love, her passion for getting the gospel out there, for sharing it with people and not pounding it over their heads, but really just sitting face to face, opening up the word of God and letting the word of God speak to um, the, the listener. And that's really the takeaway that um, I came out of with this podcast. And you'll hear me as we're talking near the end, talking about just how it relates to our own families. But I think so many times we think that we have to have all the right words and do all the right things to get someone to follow God when really it's not up to us. We have to present the gospel and God's words will work in amazing ways. And I love how as Audrey has stepped out, has built relationships, has lived within Muslim communities, that she sees the Bible even in deeper um, levels and richer tones than she had before because the Bible society is also one of honor and shame. And I am loving this book. Um, I'm enjoying it. I think this is a book that we need because it is not only our communities are changing, but our world is changing and we are going to have friends um, and we should have friends that are Muslims. And just what Audrey shares just makes me excited about the relationships that God is going to open up for all of us. So I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation I had with Audrey Frank. You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, I am so excited to have a new friend on today, and I just cannot wait to dig in, hear more of her story, and hear more of her heart, because as I'm reading through her book, oh, I'm just so impacted. Um, It just makes me weep for... Just I, uh, weep for women who don't have what I have, and then thankful. I'm just filled with thankfulness today for all that I have um, living in the country that I have. But before we get into all that, let me introduce my guest, which is Audrey Frank. So, Audrey, welcome to the podcast today. 
Thanks for having me. I would just love for you to start by just sharing a little bit about your family and your life. Well, my family and I have lived abroad and here in the United States with Muslim peoples for over two decades. And the first seven years of marriage, actually, uh, my husband and I did not yet have kids. We have been married almost 25 years this year. We're very happy about that. <laughs> and, um, but our kids all came along while we were living overseas. And we have three children. Um, the oldest is 18. Then we have a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old. And the two older are boys. The younger one is a girl. And her brothers tell her, because I had to return to the United States to give birth to her, that she is the only one who can be president one day. (laughs) They were both born overseas. But we have a heart to live and work among Muslim people. Um, We have met so many who have lived their lives alongside us and been family to us and loved us walked with us through very difficult things and very joyful things. And we've become very close to so many. And we hope that we can help the American church see that not all Muslims are terrorists and every Muslim deserves an authentic witness of Christ. Mm, I love that so much. And I love your heart. And um, I was just going to share with you some of our personal stories. So my daughter, she's actually living in the Czech Republic now, but she has a heart for the nations and just reaching out to people. And um, when she was 15, she was working with some Muslim young men who had come here from um, a different country. So they're here from Azerbaijan. I think I said that correctly, but they were working at Wendy's and she would just share about Jesus. I mean, she's 15. She just is sharing. And lots of conversations. Well, she ended up bringing one of the young men home and he had so many questions and him and my husband sat down and they would go over things. And he's like, I don't understand. And I mean, but he was willing to come into our home multiple times and have dinner with our family and discuss things with my daughter and my husband. Um, Well, when he left to return to his country, she gave him a Bible and she, um, you know, wrote scriptures in it talking about salvation. Come to find out, um, five years later, he ended up contacting her online, and he had become a Christian and had said he had gone through a dark time, but he had turned to that Bible, and he was the one that supported a large chunk of the money when she went over overseas to be a missionary. Um, the surprise gift showed up right at the right time. It's a longer story, but I'll just sum it up there. And it was such a blessing. And it just goes to show that um, just loving the people around you and not every story is going to be like that. But that was just a testimony to us, like being willing to build friendships and welcome people into your home and talk about things and open up conversations. It was just amazing how that um, helped my daughter get overseas to be a missionary herself, but also um, transformed his life. And it, it's just amazing to to witness that story from kind of, you know, sitting right next to it. That is a beautiful story. And it gives me so much joy to hear that your family was not afraid to engage. Actually, many, many of the of the Muslim people I know, especially international students or those now, um, now many are are not students, but they're just here on refugee status. Many of them tell me that no one's ever invited them into their homes, that Americans do Mm -hmm. not invite them into their homes. Others I know who have become followers of Jesus out of an Islamic background have said that it took many years before a Christian ever invited them to church. And they were always 
so lonely and surprised and wondered why no one wanted to invite them into their home. Hospitality is central to so much of Islamic culture and also vigorous discussion about our faith is central to that culture. I'll be honest, I learned more about sharing my faith when I lived in a Muslim country than I ever did living here in the United States. And I was actively involved in groups like InterVarsity and Campus Crusade for Christ and different groups like that, but where we learned how to share the gospel. But when I lived in a Muslim country, I was demanded on a daily basis to give reason for the hope that I had. Now, granted, many of those demanding it wanted to convert me to Islam. But Muslims believe that when you are vigorous and willing to share about your faith, that you are a person of faith. When you whenever you are hesitant to share, they believe your faith must not be very important to you. Mm, that just opens up my eyes even more to, to what happened because we're just thinking, okay, yeah, sure you can come over. Sure you can have dinner with our family. Sure we'll sit down and have these conversations that would you know last hours. Um, and he had lots of questions. And you know, I'm so thankful with my husband there that my daughter, they were able to talk, you know, for hours and share their faith with him. And I think that definitely left an impression on him. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear that. I travel around the United States and abroad teaching Christians, how to reach out to Muslims. That's one of the many things that I do. And I have seen a tremendous shift in the last decade Um, since the Arab Spring and the influx of peoples from Muslim lands who have come to live now in the West. um, I have seen the church wake up and begin to respond and say, what must we do? How must we respond? We aren't just sending people over there anymore. Mm-hmm. They are right here. And what what should we do? And it sounds like your family followed your heart, followed the instruction of the word to open your heart in your home. And look what happened. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I would love to hear just how um, your heart got turned to the Muslim people, um, because I think it's, it's unique, but also beautiful to you. So tell us about that. Well, It's maybe not what you think. Um, When I was nine years old, I I would attend church with my mother, and we lived in a rural area and a very tiny little church. And one year, a a Nigerian missionary came to our church, and it was a very, very big deal. It's the highlight of my childhood, actually, in church when I look back in those early years. And because we were so small and rural, we didn't have special visitors very often, And we put a lot of thought and effort into hosting this man. And after he, after he came, um, after he gave his presentation and showed all these pictures of sick children he was working with in Africa, um, I walked up to him and I said, can I go back with you and help? And (laughs) I did. And he got down on my level. He looked me in the eyes and he said, start praying now. And one day God will take you there. And I took that to heart. I had found my purpose. And I, I tell folks the truth that I really heard God's call on my life when I was nine years old. And this is an entire other conversation we could have another time about how God does reveal his purpose in the lives of children. And so I began praying, but I was growing up in trauma and abuse. 
a lot of rough things. I wasn't even sure I would make it until I was an adult many times. But this, but my faith in Christ gave me a lot of hope. And fast forward to my early 20s, and I'm headed to fulfill my dream. I'm headed to Africa. And I asked my mother, did I remember that correctly? You know, you can kind of look at your memories through rose-colored glasses. I want to make sure I was accurate. I said, did that really happen that way? She said, oh, it sure did. And you drove us crazy every night praying that God would take you to Africa. <laughs> so oh, wow. my heart at that time was not thinking, I want to reach out to Muslims. My heart was, I want to go to the hardest to reach places. I want to be the one to take the word to a people who's never heard it before. I want to go and be a pioneer for you, God. The hardest place, wherever it is, send me. And naturally, as time has passed and history has shown itself, that place has become increasingly more Muslim people groups. And um, whenever we were, when my husband and I left in 1998 to live with a tribe in East Africa, it turned out to be an Islamic tribe. They were one of the few tribes that had resisted Christianity. They resisted a lot of things um, that swept through sub-Saharan Africa. And Islam was making its impact there at that time, offering um, a lot of things, a lot of incentives for people to convert, building mosques in every village. And that's where I found myself. My desire to go to the least reached people groups collided with Muslim people. Wow, that's so amazing. And I think I think I was surprised. I don't know, when you become an adult, you learn so many things. And I was surprised how many... Um, Muslim people groups are in Africa. You know, I just pictured they're either unsaved or they're you know, Christian. Um, and I think I was, I didn't know that there were so many Muslim people groups there until I had friends that I met from Africa who, you know, parents were Muslim and grew up Muslim. Um, one young woman, her mother was um, Muslim. Her father was, called himself Catholic, although he, then they just went to church once in a while. And when she became to high school, she says, I need to pick one um, my Bible, my Christian Bible's in English. I will pick this to become a Christian. And that was her decision, um, how she became a Christian. But I think that's amazing that in your call to Africa, that you didn't know that that would also um, be a call to the Muslim people group. And I knew that was a possibility. I wasn't completely naive to that. However, you have to understand my husband and I, knowing that we wanted to go to the hardest to reach places, we, we both got professional degrees. I wanted to be able to work and serve people anywhere in the world. And mm -hmm. so I became a, a speech pathologist and I specialized in cleft lip and palate. And my husband was a businessman. And so we, we worked in the places where we lived and, and served the communities where we lived. And then it was, it was midstream before we moved to a closed Muslim country where, um, this country was under Sharia law and it was illegal to, to convert to Christianity. Just before we moved to that country, we furthered our studies and both um, sought degrees in um, intercultural studies and theology. And it was at that time I'd had a few years of field experience behind me and the, the awareness of, of the increase of Islam, of the mm -hmm. increase of, the increased need to reach those people groups was, was heightening at that time. And so when we returned and moved into that close Muslim country, we had much, much more knowledge and we were very 
um, specifically moving there to live and work amongst Muslim people. And it just evolved over time as God showed us each next clear step. Hey friends, for my newest book, I've given you a glimpse into our home. And it's not just the pretty parts. I wrote a new book called The Grumble Free Year, 12 months, 11 family members, and one impossible goal. Yes, 11 people in our home with two parents, eight kids, and one grandma who just turned 90 with dementia and so little ornery streak. But in this book, we talk about our goal to go grumble free. Now, it wasn't easy, but we had to turn to God for help. I did some things that were great. Some things pretty much failed. But through the year, we really learned that we could grumble less. I would love for you to check out The Grumble Free Year. Now, if you go to thegrumblefreeyear.com, there are some wonderful goodies. I would love for you to join us on this grumble-free journey. And I just love that, how um, God will lead us. And I think, you know, the one prayer, I always say the one prayer that he always answers, if you say, God, show me, <laughs> he will. In, in amazing ways, he will show us who to serve, who to love, where to go. And sometimes it's not easy. Um, and, and obviously, I know that there probably has been many times when it hasn't been easy. But I mean, just reading your book, it just opened my eyes to so much. So let's start. Let's just start diving into that. Um, the book is Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. And let's talk about those two things at first, the honor and the shame. Um, because I think there's so many of us that don't understand what that means and how that impacts uh, Muslims. Yes, I think the beginning of our understanding is to realize we all have a worldview. We all wear a particular set of glasses, and this is how we make assumptions about the world around us. And Western nations, including the United States, have on the lenses of guilt, innocence, or wrong and right. We judge the world through whether something is guilty or innocent, right or wrong. Um, we, that's how we see things. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Ha ha. There's my little pun for the day. But anyway, uh, <laughs> wrong with that. but it is our worldview. It is not the worldview of the Islamic culture. Um, Islamic culture sees the world through the lenses of honor and shame. Honor and shame are actual positions in their society. They're not just an emotion. Shame is not just an emotion. It is an emotion, but it is not only an emotion. It is actually a position in the group to which you belong, be it your family, your community, your tribe, or your nation. So the world and decisions are made and perceived through whether something will bring shame to you and remove you from your position of honor or whether it will retain and protect your position of honor. And this is, the, this is the preoccupation with that worldview. It's important that we understand that because many of our misunderstandings and friendships with people from an honor-shame worldview, many of them come from our, our differences there. We see something they have said or done as being wrong. For example, we might have an agreement, a plan with a Muslim friend to meet for coffee, or maybe they're coming to our house. We've invited them to our house for coffee and we go to all this trouble to make sure that we do things right and we want to please them and we cook for them, but they don't show up. And we feel like, well, what's wrong with you? We talk to them and they say, oh, my sister needed me, but they didn't bother to tell you. That can be very frustrating to a Westerner, but if they understood that Actually, perhaps that Muslim friend felt ashamed to come to your house because 
maybe they didn't have, they didn't know if they had the right clothes to wear, or maybe they weren't sure if they were a young woman, maybe they didn't know what men would be in the house. And, and in their, in their worldview and through their religion, they can't be around unmarried single men. So better than, better than bringing shame on themselves and you, it's better just not to show up. Wow. I mean, it would take completely changing your worldview, um, understanding how they think and how we think and, and realizing the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to hear as you're looking, you know, t- being in the Muslim world and hearing about this and learning about this, how did that make you look at the Bible differently? <laughs> great, great question. Well, I didn't know a lot about the honor shame worldview when I first started working with Muslims. I was muddling my way through. There weren't a lot of resources. One of the first people to ever write about this was Roland Mueller, and he has become a mentor of mine. As I wrote Cover Glory, he walked me through so much of it. But he wrote a book called Honor and Shame, Unlocking the Door. I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to understand the beginnings of the honor shame worldview. But as I, in the beginning, I didn't know a lot about it. So I made a lot of mistakes and I, I was frustrated and embarrassed a lot. And I, I had a lot of moments where I know something's wrong, but I can't figure out what I did wrong. And mm. moments of I'm sharing the gospel with you and, ex- and I'm explaining to you your need for, for forgiveness from your sin, but you don't seem to care about sin and forgiveness. And why is it falling flat? And a lot of things like that. But when I began to understand the worldview, it transformed everything because I I realized, first of all, that the Bible did not need to be contextualized or changed. It didn't need to be adapted in any way to be understood for the honor-shame worldview because it was actually written through the lenses of honor and shame to a culture that held the honor-shame worldview. When I realized that, I began looking at it differently. And I, and I could see so many honor and shame themes again and again and again from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It really revolutionizes how you see the Bible. And when I started studying the Bible, looking for honor and shame, I admit I was doing it sort of as a strategist. I wanted a better strategy for being a more effective gospel witness. But as I began to read the Bible more and see the glory of God, the way that not only do we honor him, but he honors us back, I became a worshiper. It completely changed Mm. me. I love that so much. And just thinking about how Jesus honored women. And I know your book is specifically talking about uh, Muslim women. So talk a little bit about that, because I think, I mean, even as I've started to read your book, it just opened my eyes. So this is, this is really God honoring women over and over again in the gospel. Yes, he does. And even from the beginning, he let, he allowed Hagar to give him a name. She was the first mm-hmm. woman was, she was allowed to name him and she was not of the seed of Abraham. She was, she was an Egyptian. And this gives such an open door for conversations with Muslim women because they know Hagar, they call her Hajar. And they're very familiar with her. It's a common name for girls in, in the Muslim world. And their story is, is a little changed from the biblical account, but they know that she was the mother of Ishmael 
And what a beautiful opening to say, God was thinking of you from the beginning. Even the mother of Ishmael, Hagar, was given the privilege and the honor of naming God, the God who sees me. And when she gave him that name, she, she revealed to women everywhere that God sees them and that he honors them. And furthermore, he was thinking of you and me right then that he was planning to send a rescuer, a Messiah, who would remove our shame forever. He would completely demolish our shame on the cross. And then he would restore through his resurrection our honor before God permanently. Because you see, there is no guarantee for salvation within Islam, not for men or women. And they, they are striving and hoping and working toward that, yet not sure if God will decide to allow them in on Judgment Day or not. Wow. And so th- when you share this, what kind of response do you get from women? Well, if I'm really having a great day, they ask me to please, please go get the book itself and read it directly from the book. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> because there's such high respect for the Bible and for the Quran, for the, the Old Testament books, the Torah. Um, they have so much respect for these books. They even call Christians and Jews people of the book. So there is um, there is mutual respect there that they feel that it's m- even better to hear it directly from the word. And I, I tell brothers and sisters in Christ, learn what these honor stories are. Learn what the honor narratives mm-hmm. are. Learn just a few of them. Examples for men and for women so that you can relate them to your friends orally through story while you're sitting around having coffee. And and then um, if they're interested, they will demand, please go read it to me from the book itself. I want to hear it right now. And it's that's a great day when that happens. Other times, though, I have I've seen a lot of different responses. I I have watched women's eyes fill with tears and the tears just spill down their cheeks like a river as they have heard for the first time that Jesus does not condemn them. I have mm-hmm. I have seen women. Um, one one really interesting thing that happened one time I was sitting in a village and there was a woman I had actually I I admit I had given up on her in my heart because she was she was pretty hard-hearted and uh, she was resistant to the gospel she was stealing from me she was lying to me and and the, but the lord would not let me give up on her he had not given up on her because he knew what his plans were for her and one day i was sitting in her village and the children all wanted to hear my stories and she sat on the edge not up in the middle and she was listening though and as I began to read out of First Peter, she started wiggling and squirming, and she had all these charms. And she she was um, straddled between an honor shame worldview and a fear power worldview, which believes we need power over to overcome our fears and appeasement of dead ancestors, and just a a mix of folk Islam that mixes up Islamic belief with magic. And so she had all these charms on her. She's wiggling, she's squirming. And suddenly she gets up in the middle of it and says, I can't do it anymore. And interrupted me as I'm reading. And the kids looked at her and I looked at her. And she says to one of the children, go and find an ember. And in that village, they, throughout this network of little villages, there was someone every 
Every day who was in charge of keeping an ember from the fire from the night before so they could pass it around that evening to restart the evening cooking fires. And this was about three in the afternoon, long before evening cooking fires needed to start. So she sent this child to go find the ember. And when she brought it back, she started a fire and she started cutting off all their charms. And she said, I can't, I can't, we can't carry, wear these dirty things anymore. Jesus has made us clean. We have to take them off. Oh my goodness. That's a great expense to her. These are poor people who have, who barely have clothing to put on their bodies or food to eat. They live in mud houses with holes in the roof and they, they had spent, they had spent money they didn't have. They had sacrificed goats that they could have supported their family with to buy these charms and bracelets. And she was cutting them off and, and, and did a big bonfire right there that day. That's one of the most amazing wow. things. And I, it's just the power of the word going out because those from an honor, shame worldview, they can, they can see things in the Bible that the guilt, innocence worldview can't see. Same with fear power. Mm-hmm. They see, they see things there that speak to their hearts that we may not see. And it's, it's beautiful when we can learn from each other's worldviews that the Bible is so much more dynamic than one worldview can ever describe. Yeah. And that's so amazing that you reading the word she was hearing is the same words and you're sharing the same message, but she was even hearing deeper layers of that message that that um, worldview gets when they read the Bible or when they read or hear the Bible. I was so interested too, that she called, she called those charms dirty and mm-hmm. that Jesus had made her clean. And at that time, I didn't understand the the weight of what she said. Now, when I look back on it, now that I know so much more about the honor, shame worldview and how it interplays in folk Islam with fear and power, now I can see that she just had this jumbled view and she had reached out in fear to the witch doctor for these charms so she could find power over her fear. But when she heard the word of God, she realized that not only did they not have power, but they made her dirty and she wanted to be clean. Wow. That's so amazing. I love that. Now, what do um, women face if they do embrace the Bible, if they do embrace Jesus, what do they face in their cultures and their families? It really depends on the family, but in very general terms and very probable terms, the probability for a Muslim woman is that she will be, she will be, she will bring shame to her family. Um, She will likely be moved outside the group. This may mean that she is ignored and relegated to be a slave in her household, her name not ever mentioned again. It may be that she is punished in some physical way. It may even mean the far extreme that she is killed. Hmm. There are degrees of shame management in, in the Muslim world. And the first one is avoiding it altogether. Avoid it altogether. If you can make a decision that will avoid the chance of shame coming your way. But then if it's not avoided, the second, the second stage, if you will, is, is, um, covering it covering it up. That's a great example um, of what I mentioned before. When your friend 
tells you I had to go see my sister, but really they, the truth was they were afraid to come to your house because there might be unmarried men there. They couldn't be Mm -hmm. with. Um, So that's, that's another example of covering, just telling another story to cover up. The third level is, is actually denying or lying, just outright saying, no, that didn't happen. One day I was on a bus and I had a toddler, I was holding my toddler's hand and I had an infant strapped to the front of me. And this is in, this is in a closed Muslim country. And a man reached for my purse. I had a crossbody bag, a very small one, and he reached for it to take it. And understanding honor and shame, I publicly shamed him very loudly. And he reacted and he said, I did not. I never touched you. So he was lying, denying, but he was caught in the act. The only recourse he had was to deny and lie about it, you know. Um, But then the final resort, the last resort is what I call purging. And this is when a violent, often violent act is committed and life is taken to remove that shame. It's important for Christians who are watching the news and trying to get their head around the violence in the Middle East. It's important for them to understand that that honor killings and purging, they are often the last resort in this Mm -hmm. whole process of trying to manage shame. And something super, super vital for all of us to know is that the Muslims struggle to overcome shame at the heart. It's a human struggle for redemption. It is a human struggle for redemption. And I could talk forever about our Jesus and how he not only covered our shame, we think of Ruth and Boaz and that beautiful metaphor of Christ. He also purged our shame by the shedding of his own blood. No more blood needs to be shed. Wow. That is so powerful. I'm just sitting here soaking it all in because it's just opening um, my eyes to so many things. And you would think with with these different levels, as you talk about, um, of what happens that, um, you know, women wouldn't even want to listen. But, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what God is doing um, with women, Muslim women. Well, the, the common thread among... Almost all of the women I know who have come out of Islam and become followers of Jesus made that brave decision. The common thread among all of them is they had an encounter with the word of God. And through the word of God, their eyes were opened to the love God has for them, that they matter to him, the value they have before God. So many of them have had Christian friends every Every little word we say, every act of kindness, every moment of gospel witness is, is one more step toward opening hearts. We never know how much time we have with women. We have to be faithful with the time we have. I encourage people to give them the word as soon as you can, whether it's orally, whether it's um, if you're here in the United States, I'm so proud of your daughter. She did what could not be done in some countries. She gave him a Bible. She gave him the living word to examine Mm -hmm. himself. When Muslim women get alone with the word of God, they find Jesus. And one, one, one young woman I know, she actually, she actually read the Bible the first time on a page that had been torn out 
um, disrespectfully on purpose um, to be used as a wrap for a cigarette. (laughs) She and her boyfriend, she was already having a struggle with her parents at home. They were very devout Muslims. They were they were angry with her because she was not devout, but she could not bring herself to be devout because she didn't feel God cared about her. She knew he saw her. She knew he was real. She didn't doubt that he existed, but he, he didn't care about her. So she ran away from home and she was with her boyfriend. They were wrapping cigarettes and one of the papers was a page from John. Wow. <laughs> yes. That is so amazing. And and she both, uh, they became followers of Christ. They are now married and they are reaching Muslims with the gospel. (laughs) I love that. And that just goes to the word of God. And it just reminds me of, um, you know, my husband and I, we've adopted seven kids and, you know, and four of them were preteen teenagers when they moved in. And I just trying to get them to understand love and understand truth and understand how we do things and the right things to do. We adopted them from foster care. They'd been moved around a lot. And just, I just felt like trying to um, get them, like I was almost trying to order their world and change their thinking. And it was just too hard. And I saw God saying, just read them my word. And so every day we would start reading the Bible. And pretty soon it wasn't me saying, you need to do these things this way and you need to change this and you need to change your attitude about this. It was God's word began to work. And I think whether we are reaching out to Muslims or our children mm-hmm. in our home, um, that's what we need to give them. We need to give them the word and let the word work. Let the word do its work like God says um, that it will do. You know, the word will not return void. Um, and I think so many times we forget that. We think it's all about us and having the right things to say and knowing the three points that we're going to try to get across. And then we get a question thrown at us that doesn't have to do with any of the three points. Um, but really, it is the word you of God. You are so right. And Psalms tells us that no one has the power to redeem another. We don't know the value of another person's soul. If we think of the person we love the most in the world, we still don't know the value of that precious one's soul to the Lord. Only the one who gave his life to redeem that soul knows its value. And there is only one redeemer. So I, my husband and I often talk about how our philosophy in discipleship of the nations and our philosophy in the discipleship of our children is very much one and the same. We have no power Mm -hmm. to convert another person. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we, we bring them to the Lord. We bring them to the word. We faithfully show them the truth and the way, and we depend on Christ to do that work that we cannot in their hearts. Yeah, that is so good. So foster children, I was thinking, you know, so much about Cover Glory um, is about the gospel that removes our shame. And I wonder, I, I know that in many of the foster communities, children are carrying so much shame for things others did, decisions others made. And even though Cover Glory is about is about the Muslim woman's journey from shame to honor, it is also about the gospel of honor that removes our shame for every person. And here in the United States, we know that we're forgiven. Christians know they're forgiven, but they don't know what to do with their shame. Yeah. 
That is so good. And yeah, it is, it is all of us. And when you mentioned that, I mean, our girls talk about, you know, they lived in a group home for a while and at school, they were the ones without a parent, without parents there on parents day and Mm -hmm. at these events and they had to ride the big white bus that would take them. And there's so much shame that you're right. comes from whether you're a foster child, whether you come Um, you know, we have one young woman at our church who was a former stripper and, you know, it's just like trying to love her and embrace her and reach out to her. Um, but you could just still see that she carries that, that burden and that shame. And, um, there's so many people around us and within, I mean, within our own hearts, that shame that we don't know what to do with it. When my editor at Harvest House Publishers first read my manuscript, she said, I know that your heart is to share a tool with other workers, a tool like you wish you'd had, those who are working with Muslims. But the American church needs to hear this message. And Mm -hmm. I I told her, I said, you know, I feel like someone coming from the front lines of the war. I've been on the front lines and I found, I've discovered this secret intel. And it is that the gospel not only forgives us, but it also removes our shame. And I'm running back like a messenger to the American church saying, I have secret intelligence <laughs> you. please listen i have news for you too and the stories in cover glory maybe they can just be a megaphone for someone who is too embarrassed to delve into their own shame but it's a little easier to read about it in someone else's life it's a little easier to examine the power of the gospel as you see it work in someone else's story and then begin to think maybe this could work in my story too. Yeah, and I love that so much. And um, and I think you're completely right. And because even as I'm reading, I'm thinking I'm just filled with so much more gratitude for what God has done. It's just like as I'm reading, I'm just overwhelmed with thankfulness. Um, and and it is it's a message that I think all of us need to hear. All of us need to be reminded about Christ removing our shame and how he displays that in the gospel and how he displays it in our lives and how he can display it in the lives of those that we have to step out and reach out to. Because it is about seeing people and it is about inviting them in and sharing the gospel and having these conversations. And I think we get so busy with our our regular lives and cooking dinner and doing laundry and going to basketball practice, which is all things that I'm doing today, <laughs> but it is so important to, um, to just connect with people. Cause that's what they want. That's what they need. They want someone, you know, to say, let me tell you about this and come to my house for dinner and you can talk to my dad or, you know, whatever they want that. Yeah, and something back to back to the story you told about your daughter inviting that young man, the young Muslim man, to have dinner and conversation with your family about faith. Something that you didn't know you were doing right was you were allowing him to be part of a group. So many Muslims who move to the United States, they are they are a bit lost. They have had to leave their groups behind, being their families, their communities. And they've come to a culture that is individualist and where the rights of the individual are more important than the rights of the group. Decisions aren't made so often um, based on the needs of the group or how it might impact them. And by inviting Muslims into our homes and inviting them to our churches, we are inviting them to be part of a new group. We are offering them a place of honor in a new group. And that's profound for them and very comforting. 
Yeah. And I think um, you mentioned international students before, and Mm -hmm. um, I think I've heard the statistic that over 90% of international students, when they come to study in the U.S., never even enter an American home. Mm -hmm. And that just breaks my heart that they're here, they're on campus, and they're usually just hanging out with with each other because they don't have anyone that just reaches out to them and connects to them. And I mean, I've been blessed because my kids have been um, in secular colleges and have been opening and inviting people in, but there's so many, um, even in our communities, you know, and uh, again, that prayer, God, you know, show me who I could reach out to. Um, if you start praying that I guarantee God will bring someone into your life because he is faithful in that way. True. He sure will. Well, Audrey, I have just appreciated this so much. Um, Just what encouragement do you have as we close out to maybe someone does have a coworker, know an international student? um, What encouragement do you have to them as they think about reaching out um, and and befriending is what we really need to do, um, a Muslim? I would encourage you that love overcomes everything else. You don't have to know all the rules. You don't have to be afraid, even if you were to get it wrong. By reaching out, they see love and honor. Your your behavior of saying hello, coming alongside them, helping them in some way, just honoring them as, a, as another human being who you see and you're listening to, that speaks so much more than you might think you're speaking to them, including them finding a way that that you can. And and the beginning point really is prayer. I would encourage anyone listening to this to pray and ask God to open your eyes to the Muslims in your community, to bring one into your life. This is a bit of a dangerous prayer because God will do that. (laughs) Relationship is, is important. Relationship makes a big difference in sharing the gospel. Oh, thank you so much. That is so encouraging to me. Again, um, the book is Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. And Audrey, how can we find more information about you and this book? I would love for you to visit me at www.audreyfrank.com. I have some free resources on there too. If you want under the media and resources tab, there's Worldview for Dummies, how to make friendships with Muslims and some other fun things on there. So please visit me there. Awesome. And it's available online at online bookstores and um, local bookstores. I know I, my daughter's going to love this book. So mm-hmm. uh, she's in the Czech Republic, but I'm going to order it on Kindle and send it to her and then she could download it. So um, she even has a Muslim couple that, that they're reaching out to in her community. So I know she's going to appreciate this. So thank you so much for um, just your life and what you're doing and how you are just stepping out into hard places and honoring God. Um, Just know that you are a light shining there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Friends, I just love that conversation with Audrey so much. And I really just hope that you'll take that to heart and pray for God to bring a Muslim friend into your life. I know that relationship might be it might be even scary at times because you don't know if you're going to say the right thing or do the right thing. But I just hope you listen to Audrey's words that it doesn't matter if you get everything perfect, that there are so many people that just needs a friend and they just need to hear the truth of the gospel. 
And um, I am just so excited about this book. And I agree that this is something that we need to read to understand that we do not lead anyone to God, that it's not up to us. It's not about our efforts, but it's about um, just pointing people to the gospel and letting the gospel work. So today's Walk It Out verse is Isaiah 61, 7, and this is in the NIV, New International Version. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. And I just love that so much. So let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much. First of all, if we are followers in you, you have removed our shame and you have given us a double portion. I mean, more than a double portion by giving us yourself. And instead of disgrace, we can rejoice in the inheritance and the inheritance that you have, which is eternity with you. And I pray, Lord, that um, you will just stir it on the hearts of listeners and more people in our world that they will reach out to the Muslims that have no hope of heaven. They don't know that even if they do all the right things, if they will actually um, receive an eternal reward, I pray that more people will be able to go to the Muslim community and other communities and within our own home and let people know that we can be guaranteed because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will have that inheritance that we can rejoice in, that we can trust in even now. And I said, I'm so thankful, Lord, that um, even as I spent time with my grandfather, that he was passing away, that I got to experience that heaven touching earth so closely that I was sure that if I stepped forward, I would be going with him because the feeling in the room was so, um, so beautiful and so strong with the presence of heaven that we all, when we trust you, can have that, can we rejoice in you, can understand the inheritance, the portion that you have given us. I pray for Audrey. I pray for her family. I pray for um, her as she speaks and as she just opens our minds and hearts to this honor and shame and what it means to the societies around us and what it means um, coming from your word and what it can mean to our everyday lives. Just bless her, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you will pick up a copy of her book. Again, it's Covered Glory, um, the author Audrey Frank, and the subtitle is The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World. I know that you will be encouraged. I have already, like, I have underlines, I have circles. This is something that I'm going to be grabbing when I do my um, morning devotional time and reading through it because just what I've read so far, it's just opening my eyes to the Bible even more. I mean, even when what she was saying about Hagar, like, I know the story, but what an honoring thing that God let Hagar, an Egyptian, name him and give him the name, the God who sees. I mean, Literally, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about that today. So I pray that you will pick up a copy of this book because I know that you will be encouraged and blessed. But thank you, friend, so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. It encourages me so much. It honors me that you are taking the time to listen, to share it with a friend, to be encouraged. I enjoy this time that I get to interview people and I'm so inspired and I just hope that it is a blessing to you. So if it is, just take a minute, leave a review on iTunes. I love reading that. It just helps more people find this podcast. Also, um, share it, share maybe a graphic from 
walkitoutpodcast.com of some of the guests that I have maybe share on your Facebook or Instagram um, interviews that you've especially enjoyed and let other people know about this podcast. It just helps me and encourages me to keep going. Um, Again, friend, thank you for tuning in and I pray that you will have a blessed week. May you be encouraged and may God bring someone into your life that you can pour his love into. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.